2022. And uh, it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. All right. So as I was saying a moment ago, um, let's let's jump back into Second Timothy here. And there's, just let me give you a couple thoughts that will help you kind of just uh, understand where Timothy is, or where Paul is coming from as he's giving some instruction to him. Uh, you remember that the text was just that. It was an instruction to this young man, probably in his late teens, maybe early 20s, by the name of Timothy, a real protege of the Apostle Paul, uh, amid a very growing, uh, ungodly, pagan culture. And I think that's why it's so appropriate, at least in my mind, for all the things that I've already said here. And because of all of that, Paul knew that Timothy is going to need some instruction uh, on how to live in that life. We all do. Uh, but we look back on Scripture and we see that God's mind is the same way. He knew he needed to instruct Paul to instruct Timothy on how to be the kind of man that he needed to be as a leader spiritually in the world that he was finding himself growing up in. Uh, Timothy would eventually be left by Paul uh, in Ephesus to be a pastor there. Um, and much of this letter is written just about that uh, to help him to know how to fulfill that calling. Uh, because I think Timothy was concerned, excuse me, Paul was concerned that if he didn't give clear instruction to Timothy, that Timothy might lose his way, perhaps get swallowed up in the pressures of the culture, not only the demands of the church, but the pressures of the culture on the church, and even lose sight of his calling and potentially. Uh, even follow after the ways of the world. And you say, well, how in the world can that happen? Well, it does happen. It's sadly, it does happen. There are people who have grown up in the church who at one time professed a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, yet abandoned uh, the faith of God uh, for a love of the world. Uh, and that you may know even people in your own life that are like that. Uh, scripture gives us a record even right here in the letter of Timothy and even in Colossians of a man named Demas, which I no doubt believe that Paul had in the back of his mind as he was writing this letter to young Timothy. Uh, there's really not much given to us about Demas except for the fact in the Colossian church, which is one of the prison epistles, and it's a prison epistle or a letter, uh, one of the four because Paul wrote those when he was in his first in-house arrest uh, imprisonment. Uh, and so... In that letter, though, to the churches in, church in Colossae was this uh, reference to Demas in chapter 4, verse 14, uh, but in a very positive way. Uh, Demas was a man who evidently was a close associate of Paul, just like Timothy was growing in that way. Even again in Philemon, chapter uh, 20, uh, verse 24, Paul would make reference to him. But somewhere between Paul's original writing of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, which would be probably four, five, six years maybe uh, in between there, something happened to Demas. Uh, I don't mean just physically. I'm just I'm talking internally, spiritually, something happened to Demas. We don't know what it is. We don't know exactly all of the ramifications of it. All Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 4, of 2 Timothy is this, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, if you just read between the lines there and even do a word study on this, you, you feel the heart of Paul as he's no doubt again thinking about this young man, Timothy, 
and what God has in store for him. This word desert or deserted, the root word desert, is to utterly abandon. Uh, Paul was uh, being sought after more and more by the Roman government. Uh, eventually, he'll write Second Timothy from prison, as I mentioned last time, uh, not getting out of there this time, but eventually becoming a martyr. And so he was becoming very well known in the public eye and in the eye of the government as a, a rebel, a traitor against Rome. And the Jews certainly hated him for being a traitor against them as well. And so he says of Demas now that he left me. And again, that word is to utterly abandon, or if you're just using it in a general sense, it's to leave somebody helpless. Now, I don't again know exactly what Paul means happens here. I guess we could say that Demas perhaps is watching what Paul is going through. Uh, He realizes the pressure that's building and the growing persecution. Paul in house arrest, that's not something that anybody would really want to be a part of. Uh, And just the the threats among Christians that were growing in his day. That's all part of it, I think, without question. But really the main point is what Paul has already said, and that is for some reason Demas abandoned Paul because he was more captivated by the world. And his captivation by the world caused him to love the world more than he loved even the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I say it's a very sad commentary on his life, But the reality is that's the commentary on many people's lives who once knew the things of God and even perhaps served in some ways uh, were very well known by the church that they've been in. Uh, You may know people like that yourself. You may have a time period in your life where you can look back and say, yeah, I, I wasn't the person that I needed to be or I was stronger for the Lord in those days than I am even now. Or maybe you're just coming back. But in Demas's case, um, I think it's pretty obvious that Paul is saying to us he was never really a true believer in the first place. And again, that happens to people. And we can say that pretty definitively because of what John the Apostle says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, John in his three letters after he writes the gospel and later in his life writes the three letters is uh, really makes no bones about salvation. If you read the letter of 1 John, uh, the whole letter there, you're going to know that that's exactly what he's talking about. Jesus would say something very similar here when he told the parable of uh, the seed that's sown along the path and the various types of soil. He would say this in verse 22 of chapter 13, the one whom the seed was sown Among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The point I'm simply making here is that I think what Paul is saying to each of us and to Timothy especially, who more than likely knew Demas personally, is that, kind of hate to break this to you, Timothy, but because of the actions of Demas, it's pretty clear that he never really knew Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And we can say that about others because that's what God says, that there are those who are not truly born again who once had a love for the Lord but no longer do, at least have no apparent outward workings of that, no proof, no fruit of salvation in their life with no real relationship of him, having never really truly fully surrendered themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. So any way you slice it, I think it's a sad commentary on any person, Demas, whoever you want to put in this category, who, again, just 
live their life that way. Uh, the point is, God's servants are not to have any other gods. Right? You and I, as God's people, are not to have anything in front of him. Uh, we're not to have a God of pleasure. We're not to have a God of worldly things and all that it offers. Even ourselves. We're not to put ourselves above the things of God at all. And that's really clear in the scripture. And so again, I can imagine as I hear this very intimate letter with Paul, or from Paul to Timothy, uh, this dear, dear uh, treasure to him, he must have had Demas in his mind. And the heartbreak that must have come with uh, his love for Demas and his abandonment of Paul. Now, with those thoughts in mind, I want to pick up in our text for this morning that I've chosen right at the very beginning of the letter, 2 Timothy 1. Uh, I want us to read verses 1 all the way through verse 7. And and from that, uh, we're going to get our very first instruction on how to live in an ungodly culture. So again, if I can just kind of preempt your minds, I want you to be thinking about the, the new 2022 coming up, or what we're in actually, and uh, be asking the question, Lord, how do you want me to live in this culture? And that's what we're going to learn partly today and next week. So stand with me, if you will. Let's read the text. And we'll pick up on the first one, and then the rest of them come from various passages in the letter. Paul, identifying himself, simply says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And uh, this is so definitive, I don't take time to teach through it all, but just listen carefully. I'm an apostle by the will of God according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, and again, there's so much emotion in that, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of discipline. All right, you may be seated. So again, I hope you were listening carefully to the words that Paul was offering there as he's just giving this beautiful introduction. But again, Right in the very beginning, he wants Timothy to know, I understand your struggle, Timothy. Paul may even be thinking, I've been there. I understand the temptations on a young man in ministry or just what ministry brings, uh, just what it means to follow Christ as a Christian. I understand. And evidently, uh, there was some struggling going on with Timothy. I think that's why he writes what he does in verse 7. Uh, probably from the struggles going on within the church as the church is feeling the weight of the culture and the persecution around them, much like you and I feel the culture pressing in on us in in various ways. I'm sure Timothy was feeling the weight of all of that, but then also just um, within his own heart and um, the ability or the, the fortitude to withstand all that's coming his own way and how can he do this. And so here we have this first instruction in verse 6, which I'm saying to us to live godly in an ungodly culture, you must never neglect the gift or the gifts God has given you. If you're going to live effectively in the culture, you must never neglect the gift or the gifts God has given to you. Look at verse 6. He says, I remind you now to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Kindle afresh. 
The word gift here is the word used speaking of spiritual gifts. And Paul would make those clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you go back and read that letter as he's writing to the church there, and they have lots of question, questions about that. Well, he's basically saying that at the moment of our salvation, God gives to each of us certain gifts or a gift. We at least get one. Okay? I don't know that Paul's list in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is, is um, exhaustive, uh, but certainly it is clear that there are certain things that God gives to every believer as I said at the time of their salvation. And the purpose for those gifts is to edify the body so that the body functions or is encouraged and moves on and continues to live vibrantly spiritually, which is how we should see ourselves, beloved. We should never see ourselves as just an organization. We should never see ourselves just as a group or a a clique in the negative sense. We should see ourselves as the life of Christ being manifested in and through us as it moves upon the earth. We are a part of all of that. And God uses us in that way. And to to make himself known in the world, he gifts us to do just that, to make himself known. But the point is, if you don't use the gifts, then you can become pretty useless to the Lord. Not that you are not his child anymore, but you become like a muscle that is not used. It's atrophied. It's weakened. And in some cases, you know the physical body. Some of you know this better than I do, that if a muscle is not used regularly, it can completely die. And it just becomes of no use at all. Well, if you translate that same understanding into the life of the church, then we could say how many churches were once filled with the life and the vibrancy of the Spirit of God moving in and through it to the point where they saw the work of God in a great way through the salvation of souls and the baptisms of souls and people who were committing themselves to walking with the Lord and do that regularly, but only to watch that same church or churches die eventually because people stopped using or neglected their gifts that God had given to them. And I have to say, beloved, that's why we want you to be alive in the church. And I could stand up here and scream and spit and shout and all that kind of stuff. I don't need to do that. And you're going to see why in just a minute. But that's why we're constantly saying to you, don't neglect the areas of ministry that we have available because God needs you. God wants you. Now, God doesn't need in the sense that we would think in a human sense, but God uses us for all the reasons that I've already said. God has gifted you, and if you don't use them, you don't lose them, but you become very ineffective in the role that God has strategically placed you in the body to f- perform. Again, Paul would make this very clear in his letter to the first Corinthians, into the church of Corinth. I want you to just think this morning as we're talking through this that there is no one like you in all of the universe. Never from the beginning of time, beloved, has there ever been person just like you. Now we laugh and we joke and we see other people out in the world and think of relatives that we're like and we have uh, similar views. I was just telling my brother yesterday as I saw his profile, he was looking at me and he turned away and I paused him right there and I said, you look just like our cousin and our mom in that profile. That we have all of that, we understand that. But the problem is, is that we often neglect what God has given to us to use for his purposes, forgetting that we were uniquely created by him from the foundation of the world. 
Have you ever thought about that? There is literally no one who has ever been like you ever in the history of mankind. That's God's purpose, to make you who you are. And so I think Paul, obviously, again, was, was concerned about Timothy losing sight of these truths. And so he says to him in this verse, kindle afresh, meaning it's there, winnow it. The word literally means keep the fire alive, Timothy. And you all know that understanding. How many of you, I'm sure, have sat beside a campfire at some point in your life and you watch the fire go down and somebody's instructed to keep it going and and so what they have to do is they have to throw more logs on the fire. They have to take their fire stick and poke it. They have to scratch around with the stick or the whatever implement they're using to stir up the coals. It's the same idea because they know if they don't, it's eventually going to die out. And that's what Paul's saying here. Timothy, you understand this. Your heart is like this. Your soul is like this. If, if you don't stir it up, if you don't keep it moving, if you don't keep engaging yourself in the things of God, in the ministry of God, you'll become very ineffective for service of the Lord. And again, I'm certain that Paul's thinking Demas in the back of his mind. So instruction number one simply is don't give in to the temptation to do nothing. Don't give in to the temptation to do nothing or get lazy spiritually. We're pretty good at that. We're very easy, easily tempted to be lazy. But use the gifts or the gift that God has given to you. Now, if not, your sinful tendency will be to uh, take more ground and do less and less for him. And you'll just go through the motions. And then again, you'll have no effect on the world. You'll be pretty useless. So Paul's point is keep serving, keep going. And if you're not serving, get going. Do it. Or ask yourself the question, why am I not serving? What's the reason behind this? Well, we can discuss that a little bit more later, but the reality is souls are at stake. I don't know how much we have to emphasize that. You know, sometimes I believe that church life becomes this thing that we do and this process that we go through instead of remembering that God has, as I mentioned earlier, strategically placed each of us in his body because the eternal souls of men and women are at stake. We have to think that way. We've got to train our brains to think spiritually that way, that every soul we look at has an eternal destination. They will either eternally be with the Lord Jesus or they will eternally be damned. Now, that's all based on the fact that the Bible is the truth. If a person doesn't believe that the Bible is the truth, you have no beginning ground. But we know that the Bible is the truth of God's word. Jesus said that in John 17, 17, that word is truth. And so we know these things to be just that. And so we got to remember, listen, I hear Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, look, don't get caught up in seeing the world around you and forget the souls that God has entrusted to you. And Paul would even give his own stirring of Timothy's heart in verse 8 of chapter 1. Notice what he says. I'm kind of ad-libbing here because I hear Paul saying it this way. Timothy, God has saved us and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. In other words, it's nothing we can do on our own, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. There it is. 
Way back in the beginning of time, God set his grace on you and me, Timothy, and all others who have trusted him as their Lord to see him for who he is. So verse 10, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, all this became much clearer as Jesus came on the earth. Scripture revealed all this truth, but now that he's here, it is abundantly clear. And he goes on to talk about what Jesus did, that he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Listen, you either think Paul's a real freak or this man knows what he's talking about. You know, you kind of want Paul to just lighten up a little bit and say, can we just tone it down, Paul, and not be so spiritual all the time? Can we just change our language a little bit? And, and Paul, I think, would, re, would respond to that with, no, because the truth is right here. Jesus came to abolish death and brought us life, immortality, through the gospel. But notice this. He doesn't stop there in verse 11. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher for this reason. Timothy, you want to know why I keep going and why you should kindle afresh your heart is because I also suffer these things. I'm not ashamed for what I know whom I've believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. In other words, I have such confidence in the God that I have surrendered to, I know this is going to come to pass. And that's what motivates me. And you, Timothy, need to be remembered, reminded of the same thing. And sometimes you and I just need to be reminded of the same thing. And this is a good time of year to do that. To be very clear about what God has done for us so that we're motivated to get back in service, to get back in line. And so let me say, think about all that God has done to rescue you. Think about the family he put you in. Think about the business that he put you in, the place of employment, the schools, the friends, all of that was designed strategically by God from eternity past to bring you to the awareness of who he is ultimately so that you will say, I am not God, you are, and I need you as my savior. God did that. And I don't know what else God needs to do. I mean, do you ever find yourself just asking God, for things that you don't even really know what you're asking for. I like to do that with people as I'm counseling with them to help them kind of focus in on what they're really looking for. A lot of times people will come and they'll have lots of things going on in their life and sometimes we just got to focus on one thing. But the main thing I like to ask him is, if Jesus were here right now, right this moment, and it was just you and him, and he said to you, what do you need me to do for you? What would be, his, what would be your answer? Most of the time people say, well, that's a good question. I never really thought about it like that. Well, we should think about it like that because what Jesus would say, I think, in response is, look, I gave my life for you. What else do I really need to do for you? Now, he's gracious and kind and will do all that he does, uh, but that really comes down to the motivating factor. We don't need anything else to motivate us. Someone might be saying, but I thought God built the church. Well, he does. But he builds the church through us. And so his motivation to us is go, and I will build my church through you in my divine providence and plan. But my plan is to use your giftedness. And so your New Year's resolution, if you kind of still do that thing, is make it this, in my opinion, that you find your area of giftedness. If you're not understanding what the spiritual gifts are, and I want to be careful with all of that because I don't have time to teach through all that, um, begin to use them. 
Because if you don't, you'll neglect them and things won't turn out the way that God wants them to. And so the motivation to us then is to get back in gear. Okay? Let's look at another one. It comes from verse 13. To live in an ungodly culture effectively, you must live your life framed by biblical truth. Framed by biblical truth. 2 Timothy 1.13. Paul says, Timothy, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You know, I think if Timothy learned anything valuable as a young man, it was the word of God. If you're listening in the opening text, especially in verse 5, as Paul opens his letter, he makes reference to this. He says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. So Timothy had this grounding of spiritual truth in his life from people that God put in his life, namely these precious folks, but his real spiritual leadership training was going to come from Paul. And so Paul wanted Timothy to hold on, to live by the truths that he learned because Paul knew it was through the word of God that it was only going to be the effective means that would accomplish anything and gain the power to overcome the difficulties that life would throw at him. So Paul, I think, again, saying it another way, would say this, Timothy, listen, you need to live your life, purpose to live your life based on what God says, not by what you feel or think. Now, I don't want to be confusing here for you, but I just hope you'll understand the simplicity of what I'm saying, is that our feelings will lie to us. Feelings are good. Feelings are necessary. God, They're God-given. I've talked about this a lot. Many times over this subject comes up and I bring it up a lot because it's so obvious how many times people are drawn away by their feelings, no matter what the subject is. Feelings will drive you in all kinds of directions. One of the main ones is through fear, which is why Paul brings up what he does in verse 7 of our text. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Meaning, listen, Timothy, when you feel fear driving you in certain directions, and that's what's making your decisions for you, understand this, that's not from God. God didn't give you that. Well, then what did God, what did God give me? He says this in the second part of the verse. He gave you power and love and discipline, and all those fit together with the work of the gospel and the work of the, the Spirit. And so evidently, Paul was concerned that Timothy was being overtaken by his emotions. And that's why he was having to write this letter and these words that he was. And that happens more times than we like to think, that being how people follow their emotions. Many churches, in fact, have lost people. We have lost people, just being honest, over the years by people who get upset, not because the biblical teaching is incorrect, but because somehow their feelings got hurt. That happens to all of us. None of us are immune to that. But often when people leave based off of their feelings, it's something that is really not right. In other words, not that their feelings aren't affected by it, but they're not approaching the subject correctly. They need to go back and ask themselves, wait a minute, I may be upset about this or that, but what does God really say about how to handle this? We've had lots of people, as I said, who have left and not addressed the issues, even after we've tried to get in touch with them and tell us what's going on. How can we 
work this to our favor and in your favor. But you know, if it's over a child or it's over some uh, emotional thing that's happened or, or whatever that may be, that can be a great driving force. It's the what the thing that drives the train, again, instead of loving God's word. When God's word says, hey, we're to forgive one another. We're to turn the other cheek when somebody hurts us or does something wrong to us. We're to offer grace whenever we can, an opportunity for repentance. We're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. One of the things that I had once done before Brother Danny started taking over the new members class, and by the way, we're going to be doing a new members class here very soon. Just got to nail down the dates, but that's coming up. If you desire to join with us officially, that class is the place you need to go for a couple weeks just because we'll get into all the details of why church membership is so important and what it's all about. But one of the things that I would end those classes with for me personally was knowing all of these things and how people often operate out of their emotions and their feelings is if you ever have a situation that comes up where we as a church or I have hurt you, please don't just leave. Come to us. Let us give us an opportunity to repent. Give us a chance to clarify or whatever, but often that just doesn't happen. Most people would rather just go the other direction and not do what God says to do. What I hear Paul saying to Timothy and to us as a church as we look into this new year, make sure, Timothy, that you're framing your thinking off of what God says, not anything else. Don't let the other things lie to you. That's what he means when he says, retain the standard of sound words. Retain the standard of sound words. The standard there is the word for pattern or outline. Okay, so you all know what an outline is. I put together outlines every Sunday, or excuse me, every Monday for the new week. I try to create the outline the best that I can, and then throughout the week I hang other things on it so we have the finished product by Sunday morning. Well, you all know what an outline is. You've done many of them over the years. Every builder, if you're in that kind of trade or you know anything like that, you know what, how important an outline is. How, how important the outline of the foundation is. I, I used to work with a friend of mine who uh, we used to play a joke on the guy who was the main builder. We were kind of more the helpers in that sense. And if you know to get something square, you got to measure this corner and this corner and make sure it's the same, right? It's got to be to the inch or, or right on it. And so he would take the tape that way and he'd get the measurement and then he'd take it that way and we would hold it off just an inch on this side just on purpose. And he'd go back and measure that side. Well, this, he'd come back like this. We'd hold it off again, maybe a different measurement. And you're like, what in the world is going on here? Well, see, he knew that if he didn't frame that foundation perfectly, the rest of the house would not be the way it should be. I have a friend of mine who told me not long ago that when he built his house, he did just that. He didn't frame the foundation well. And so he thought he could just make it up as he went up the house, but it ended up being six inches out of center. And so problems just occur. So anyway, you know what a framework is. Well, Paul is saying to Timothy, people often, unfortunately, use the world as the framework for their life instead of the Word of God. So the world becomes, here's what I'll pattern life after. And the Bible just kind of becomes something in addition to that. But what God wants from you and me is to let the Bible be everything to us. It's what keeps us square, if you want to think it that way, and keeps us on track. And even churches, beloved, often fall into the same problem where they will frame life around the world 
instead of God's word. And you can see that by how the sermons are geared. Often sermons bring up a text of scripture maybe as the introduction, but they don't even mention it beyond that or anything else in the text. But boy, they can hit you with a lot of stories about grandma. And I'm not saying it's wrong to say something about grandma. I like it when they say stuff about grandpa. But the point is, there's the touchy kind of thing. If I can touch your heart emotionally, which has value at times, as long as it's balanced off of God's word. But if I can touch you as a speaker based off of where you're feeling in life, then I can control and manipulate you. I can cause you to give more money. I can cause you to serve. I can cause you to do this or that. You see, I can build things like that if I manipulate you by your feelings. And churches do that. And every bad leader, in my opinion, knows that. And as a result of that kind of leadership, most people don't know the Bible. They don't know the word of the Lord. As much as they hunger for it, they think the leader is teaching them what they need to know. And they come away saying, oh, well, this is the way life is supposed to be. And they, at the end of it all, they find that they're way down a path that they never wanted to be on in the first place, unless God rescues them from that. So how are they supposed to live by the Bible if they don't know it? Well, they're not being taught it. Well, you have to make sure that you're purposefully in your own mind making sure that you're framing your life based off of what the Lord has said, which again is why we preach verse by verse, line by line. We want to go through everything that God has said to make everything as clear as possible. But that's what I do on my end and my giftedness. Your responsibility is to listen. Every Sunday you show up or every Wednesday night or whenever you're doing your own devotions, your job is to listen attentively to what the Lord is saying to you so that you're building your framework of life around God's word. And if you don't, again, you'll be consumed by all the philosophies out there. You'll be guided in all the different directions of feeling and opinion and everything else that's not God-honoring, okay? That's number two. Let's go to number three. And I've got this one and one more and we'll be done. To live in an ungodly culture effectively, you must protect God's word at all costs. Not only must you keep it as the framework, but you must protect it. In other words, once you've learned that this is the pattern for my life, then I have to guard that. I have to keep it safe. Because if you don't, it will be robbed from you. We have an enemy who wants to take from you everything that you're learning and to try to trip you up along the way. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, verse 14 of chapter 1, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard it, Timothy. Now, what's he talking about? What's the treasure here? The treasure is the gospel. It's the word of the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. God has given to you and me, Timothy, the most priceless of treasures, his word. Guard it. Protect it. It's been deposited in you. The Spirit of God has internally positioned it, however he does that, and whatever that looks like in the spiritual realm, into you. So your responsibility, Timothy, is to protect it. Don't deviate it. If you do, you will become useless like all of these. That's the, the, the negative outcome of all of this. The culture will engulf you and you will lose sight of everything that you're supposed to be holding on to so dearly. 
You might ask, well, what does it mean to guard it? Well, I've already touched on some of those thoughts, but mainly it would be don't let somebody water it down. You know, there are a lot of people out here that believe that the Bible is a good source book. Right? It's good for thought. It's got good opinions to it. And, and there are people who preach the same thing. There are people who say that, you know, oh, you don't need to listen to that. Uh, Paul was a chauvinist or that was for another time and another culture. Well, that may be in some cases, but there's always eternal truths that come through it. And so don't let somebody water it down. Don't let it be changed. Now tell me that's not happening in the culture. Tell me we're not living in a culture that's saying what God once said is not right anymore. As if God has somehow changed when his word says God never changes. It's interesting, isn't it? So you see, the culture will holler at you and me saying, oh, you're missing the point. You're living in the old dark days. But God has changed. But if we're living by a biblical framework and we go back to scripture that says, but God never changes. His word is eternal and it's timeless. So how are we living in the dark ages? So we are to protect what God has given to us and not let it be manipulated in that way. Colleges themselves, seminaries, have done the same thing. You know yourselves that the Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia that we're a part of was started back in the 90s because of the liberal direction that the Southern Baptist seminaries were going. It was coming down from the top. I know many of you have heard this before, but for those who have not, here were some of the things. It wasn't just that women shouldn't wear pants in church. That's a joke. Okay. You say, oh, women are not supposed to wear pants in church? I'm making a joke here. No, it was along the lines of denial of the virgin birth being taught in our Southern Baptist seminaries. Okay, so that was the extreme. Well, I read this. It was interesting. You may not have known this. Maybe you did. I don't know. Of the 108 colleges that were first established in the U.S., 106 of them were founded by Christians. Isn't that interesting? Such as, <coughs> excuse me, such as Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, William and Mary, Princeton, Rutgers. And then I read this. The number of college students with no religious affiliation has tripled in the last 30 years. Now, this is a little dated, as you'll see this. From 10% in 1986 to 31% in 2016, according to data from this uh, survey. Over the same period, the number who attended religious services dropped from 85% to 69%, and that was in May of 2017. In Harvard's poll of the beliefs and lifestyle of the class of 2019, 21% said they identified as agnostic. Now, wait a minute. You know what an agnostic is? Agnostic is? It's a person who's like, eh, maybe so, maybe not. I just don't have a belief really at all. Well, how do you go from being a school that was founded upon by Christians on Christian biblical principles, and now you have this. 17% reported that they were atheists. You say, well, that's not a big number. It doesn't matter what the number is. It's a growing trend. And so the point is that like no other time in our nation's history, at least in our generation, do we need to protect the truth. And beloved, believe you me, we are in the growing minority. The growing minority without question. You protect it also by learning it. That's your responsibility. It's my responsibility, your responsibility to learn it, to spend time in it. That's how we learn it. 
to, as Paul said to Timothy, to divide it. That means you parse it out, you sort it out well, you go back to the Old Testament, the New Testament, you look at the big picture of all that God is doing, you meditate on it, which is what he said in verse 15 of chapter 2. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's the Awana verse, right? But that word diligent means just what it sounds like, to make speed, make effort, make haste. In other words, Timothy, look, your culture is going to engulf you and the church if you don't build your life on the word of God and don't let it be changed. If you want to be effective in the culture, you've got to focus on God's word. And I know some of you have come out of backgrounds where you were not taught that. You were taught the priest knows, the preacher knows, whomever, you don't need to know it, I'll tell you what you need to know. But that is not what God says. You're to spend time in it so you'll learn and so you'll know. In fact, just kind of do a little quiz for yourself right now and ask yourself, in the year 2021, I wonder how many minutes I actually spent studying the Word of God. And then compare that to the rest of your time in 2021. That's not a comfortable thought, is it, for any of us? Well, as revealing as, revealing as that is, it doesn't mean that it has to be that way. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to spend every minute reading your Bible. You don't need to be walking around. Or like one preacher, Debbie and I knew, used to say, I love reading my Bible as I'm driving down the road. Like, and that's not a good plan, brother, <laughs> for any of us. <laughs> We're not talking about that. But every moment of every day should come back to what you've read in the Bible. That's the point. What you study in the Scripture should lead you in your conversations. It should always be the subject of your mind, no matter what you're doing. How does God speak to this? What have I learned? What have I heard? How do I appropriately deal with this and attack my, this, this situation? Again, in conversations or even the words that I use. I'm talking about you or me. How I feel about something, as I was talking about earlier, instead of going, oh, you hurt my feelings, I'm leaving. The real godly person says, or the person who wants to follow the Lord is, you know what? That really hurt. But what does God say? How do I deal with this according to what he says? All of that should be in the same line of thinking. And that kind of diligence protects God's word. It upholds it. It says to the other person, this is the truth. This is why I live my life. This is how I live. And they're going to say, well, who are you? Well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And that's why I'm responding this way. That's why I'm doing this. And there's a whole host of subjects that we could put under that, whether it's grace or mercy or peace or anything. This is why I'm doing it. Because my mind is framed on the word of the Lord and I'm going to protect it for what it is. Okay, lastly now, verse, uh, verse 2, chapter 2. To live in an ungodly culture effectively, you must pass on the truth of God's word to others who will pass it on. Paul says in chapter 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. You know, one of the great temptations on God's people, uh, if not perhaps even the greatest temptations on God's people, is to keep what they have learned from him in the scripture to themselves. To keep it secret. To hide it away. Now, the Bible does say hide his truth in our hearts. That's true. But he doesn't say to hide it from everybody else. It's a treasure. But we think often... Because it's such a priceless treasure, I'm going to surround it with my soul and nobody's going to know anything about it. But that's totally opposite what the Lord has said in Scripture. For example, Matthew 10, 27. Jesus said this just not long ago in our studies. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Pretty clear, isn't it? What's he saying? Hey, what have you learned? Go tell it. And don't be ashamed of it. Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. That's ridiculous. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. If you've ever looked at a picture of a city from on top of a hill, you know there's just no way to hide that light, right? I'm not going to reteach all this, those of you who've been in the sermon for Matthew 5, but you just look across the horizon, and even at night around Charlottesville, from where we live in Earliesville, sometimes you can catch a glimpse of the sky in the night, and you can see the brightness coming up from the city lights. You look at the stadium down here when the football team's playing at night, and you can see the lights from a long distance away. That's what the Lord's saying here. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen, to live in an ungodly culture, you and I need to be the people that are so different from the culture that they go, what is that light? It's blinding me. Turn it off or give me more. That's what the Lord's saying. Thankfully, there are people who obey. I was just over in the Southern States building over here just the other day. Debbie was waiting on me in the truck. We had to fill up a little propane tank and it was later in the evening and I was going through the checkout line and there was an old man right in front of me and he was really hobbling along, but bless his heart. I was so excited to just stand there and listen to him because he was absolutely unashamed of his love for Jesus. And he was telling the lady at the counter, he stopped while he was paying his bill, turned to me and started witnessing to me. I was like, you go for it, brother. I'll listen. And there was a guy behind him, and then the two other helpers were there, the guys working there. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, two young boys working, and one of them caught my eye while the guy just kept on talking about Jesus. And he kind of rolled his eyes at me, the kid did. And that told me what the world often thinks about us, right? Crazy, this old guy, crazy. He's nuts. Don't listen to him. Do you know what he said, the old man? He said 52 times. He says, I was, a, I was an infantry leader in the military, and he said, 52 times I should be dead. And he says, but the Lord saved me, and I'm going to tell everybody. Unashamed. He didn't care because he'd have been so affected. Here's a perfect example of a man who had lived his life, evidently I don't know anything about him, but framing his life off of the biblical mandates. And he was doing what God had called him to do. But too often, beloved, and this probably is most of us, we're just afraid. How many of you would do that at a checkout line? Some of you would. 
but most would not. Ashamed, embarrassed, we would hear or see that young person in our minds rolling their eyes at us and we wouldn't do what we're supposed to do. Or we would be, here's, here how, here's how this goes. When you stop doing what God has said to do, to be the light and telling others, then we get used to not telling others and we become complacent to the point where we don't even think about it anymore. You ever been there? Or you were once really passionate, but now it just doesn't even come to your mind anymore? This is part of all what Paul is saying here. Israel was a great example of how not to live life. I won't take time to read all of this. It's lengthy. Uh, the men in the more, uh, Monday night studies, and by the way, men, we'd love to have you join us for our men's Bible study. The ladies are studying on Tuesday nights coming up. Deuteronomy 4, this is from Moses. Just listen to what he says to Israel. And just hang in there with me. We're almost done. Moses says, See, I've taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you're entering to possess it. In other words, I've given you the instruction. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord, our God, whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? That's Moses. But here's the command in verse 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Beautiful testimony from Moses. Go, Israel. Tell everybody. But Just a few short years later, we get to the book of Judges and we read this in chapter 3, verse 7. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. They forgot. What? How could Israel forget? How could they forget? That's the tendency of the human heart. Sin causes us to forget. And so Paul, knowing all of that as a leader of all God's word, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, if you understand his life from the past, says to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 8 again, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel, in other words, the truth that I've preached to everyone, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. Yes, Timothy, now this is his second letter, I'm in prison, I'm not going to get out of here, this is why I'm here, because I've proclaimed the truth of God, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Hallelujah to that. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are the chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Now what Paul is alluding to there is people are chosen from the foundation of the world, but people have to respond to God's call. And Timothy, you and I are the mechanism through which the word of God goes out and people hear it and the spirit works in their hearts. But if you're not doing it, how will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear if no one's sent? You get the point? 
They won't. So what am I asking you this morning? I'm asking you to pray. Just begin to pray that God would give to you someone in your mind, maybe somebody that comes right away, who you can start even spending time with in training them. That sounds like a lot. And I know that that's scary to even think about. But if it's scary, ask yourself, why? Why is it scary? Well, it's probably because of everything we just talked about. I'm afraid. Or I don't know enough to do that. I'm not educated enough to know these things. Or uh, I'm just too busy with the world. There's just too much going on in life right now. And I just don't have the time to do that. Well, I understand all of that. And God understands too. But it's still no excuse, beloved. Because our mandate is to frame life from his word. Our mandate is to protect his word and to live it to his glory in the midst of a very dark and dying culture. So there are helps. You know, I have on my phone the Bless Every Home app. You remember that from a couple years ago when we preached on those? It's a wonderful little thing. Every morning I get this little pop-up thing in my email that says, hey, pray for these neighbors, pray for these neighbors. And so I do that every, every morning. There's another one called The Story. Do you remember that? It's a little animated thing that you just download the app. Real simple. You don't have to do anything. You can just take your phone and just hold it in the face of somebody. Watch this. I mean, you can even turn your head if you need to, right? Just watch this. It's about two minutes long. It's really, really well done. Extremely well done. There's another app called M28. That's Matthew 28. That's Go. And there's great instruction there. They're all free downloads. Easy, easy, easy stuff to use. But right now, I'm just asking you just to pray. Be willing to pray and say, God, restore to me all these things that I've heard and, and put somebody in my path. Could be a family member, might be a friend, co-worker, don't know. A young person, somebody else. And let me be a part of helping them come to know what I've known all these years or what I am knowing. You might be sitting here this morning saying, I, I just gave my life to the Lord not long ago. I, I, don't, I don't know how to do this. You know what? It doesn't matter. God will do the work. You remember the guy who Jesus healed? It's a wonderful story, isn't it? The people, the Pharisees come and they say, who are you? What are you doing? I, I don't know. All I can tell you is, is that that guy over there, he healed me. And he goes and he lives his life joyfully. So don't be intimidated by what you don't know. Just trust God. God will give you what he wants you to know. All he's looking for is a willing heart. And he'll do the rest. We've seen way too many testimonies of that over the years. For some of you, you need to go even the next step. This new year needs to be a year where you say, you know, I'm ready to serve as a deacon. I need to serve as a deacon. I I need to serve as a Sunday school teacher. I need to serve somewhere. I need to be a part of things. I need to be growing. I'm willing to be trained, whatever. You may even have thoughts that God gives you that we haven't even thought about. Because this is all part of what God is saying to Timothy. Timothy, listen, you're God's man. You're God's man. Don't lose sight of what he's done in you. And that's the message to all of us. Now, Timothy would go on to pastor a church, as I said earlier, but to you and me, God has brought you to this place in your life at this moment in history 
for the year 2022 to say to you, you're my man, you're my woman, you're my son, you're my daughter. Now here's what I want from you. What I want from you in return is to listen to me and obey me. That's what he's looking for. And don't be afraid. Why? Well, Paul said it to Timothy. Because God hadn't given you a spirit of fear. When you're afraid, cast it out. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. Okay? All right, we need to close. And we'll do that right here. We'll pick up with some more next week. Father, we thank you with our whole hearts this morning because we feel, even I feel internally, the weakness of my flesh and the inability of my my physical body, my mind, my, my awareness, all the things that keep us from being what you want us to be. I feel that just like everybody else which makes you all the more glorious because you've told us in your word that it is, it is through you that we can do the things that we do. In fact, you said it so clearly like this, that without you, we can do nothing. And so thank you, Father, that you pour into us truth. Now, may we be the church, the people, the corner uh, house, whomever, to be students of your word and to apply it. Lead us, Lord, as we go into this new year. And we pray that you would help us to be a church of peace and hope and joy, a lighthouse in the community that's rapidly growing around us. Growing physically, but growing darker spiritually. So again, we thank you, Lord, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let everyone stand. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverance. Father, we just thank you so much. Lord, we just thank you for your strength, your love for us, and the fact that you are an everlasting God, that you have no beginning, you have no end. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in whose name I pray. Amen.